Good morning, everyone. Oh, I'm booming, aren't I? There's, this is uh, this lavalier mic is giving me fits today. It's moving around a lot, but uh, maybe it'll maybe it'll work. I want to welcome you here today, and I want to in- encourage you, particularly those who are members, to make sure that you're in the here, here in the 11 o'clock hour. This could be a momentous day in the history of this church as we vote on a pastoral candidate. And we need your presence here. With so many people gone during the summer, it's difficult at times to get a quorum of membership, and we need you here for no other reason, to make sure we have a quorum so we don't have to do this again. But I'll encourage you to do that. Please be sure to be here. If you've ever been on a team, you know the value of teamwork. When I was in high school, and I don't know where they still have this old antiquated cheer around, but we had a cheer that went something like this. The team is in the huddle, the captain's at the head, the fans are in the stands, and this is what they said. Go team. Go figure. It meant something back in the 60s, 50s, maybe the 40s. But in any case, you get the idea. It sort of, that sort of depicts the idea of teamwork. Everyone in their place doing what is expected. That's a good team. It suggests a lot of things. Interdependence. It even suggests learning how to submit to one another. When I was in high school, I think I was a sophomore, and we had a senior on the team who was the quarterback, and the coach who'd studied the game film all, all, long, all week long and knew a whole lot more about football than the senior quarterback could ever hope to know about football would send a play into the game, and the quarterback would change it. That didn't make him too popular with the coach, especially after he did that several times. He lacked an integral quality, important if you're a part of a team, and important if you serve under a coach, and that is submissiveness. We're continuing in our series today on how to live here below with those we know, And what we've been doing, for those of you who are guests and aren't aware, is we've been looking at some of the one another statements. A couple of weeks ago we looked at the idea that we should live our lives in forbearance with one another. Today we're looking at this whole idea of submissiveness. When you talk about submissiveness, you can't help but be struck with the evidence of unsubmissiveness. As this rogue quarterback I was telling you about. He called his own plays. The coach was furious with him, finally pulled him out of the game. And what made it more interesting was that this young quarterback was the relative of another coach on our team. Made for very interesting locker room conversation. And I can't imagine what was going on in the coach's office. But this thing of unsubmissiveness, it's really a social legacy. You know what a legacy is. It's something that's handed down, often money or valuables. But we also use it of values. We can hand down values and ideals, and we do, whether we like it or not. And just survey with me, if you will, the legacy of the 60s and the 70s. Now, I was talking to some of the staff this week, and I came to realize how young they were, or maybe how old I am. I was mentioning things to them they had never even heard of other than maybe just a a, a part of a unit in in a a history class they'd taken at school. But do you remember when Vietnam was boiling like a cauldron? 
And people were anything but submissive during that time. Draft dodgers, guys burning their identification cards and burning the U.S. flag. The mantra at these demonstrations often was, hell no, we won't go. And guys packed off by the hundreds and maybe even the thousands and headed for Canada. Some of them still live there. They became Canadian citizens. They were so against the war in Vietnam. And then just think about the political upheaval. I mean, many of us here lived through this. When um, JFK was assassinated, and then a few years later when his brother Robert was assassinated, and then when Martin Luther King was assassinated, and there were many attempts at his life before then. And then there's that infamous 1968 Democratic Convention, Chicago. You remember it? If you don't remember it, you're young. I'll tell you something. It sent shockwaves through this country. There was rioting. Um, people were burning buildings down. It was just a horrific time in this country. It wasn't just assertiveness versus passivity. It was rebellion versus decorum and civility. And urban America wasn't alone in this demonstration of we will not submit. How about the farmer's plight? The National Farmers Organization was organized and tried to unionize farm, farmers. There were farmers that emptied their milk from their dairy cattle in protest because they weren't going to get the kind of price at market that they knew they should get. So they just emptied it out into the fields. There were those who shot their beef cattle rather than take a lower price than what they figured it was worth, they were worth. It appeared to be the chosen alternative to working it out. But it looked like anarchy. Then there were young women who were burning their undergarments and citing the inequality they were experiencing in their lives. And this, this all contributed to the unrest. Then there were the minorities, Latinos and blacks, particularly blacks, who had had enough of civil in, uh, injustice. Sometimes peaceably, sometimes not, they let the world know that they were wronged. Hundreds paid the price. Some of them paid that price with their own lives. They were trying to make their point. And they made their point, but not without great cost. Now, I want to parenthetically throw something in here. And that is this. At least this is my opinion. A lack of submissiveness is not always wrong. In almost every case that we pointed out this morning, there was a point to be made. But it was the way it was done. It was often done so recklessly whether we now view it as right or wrong, whether you were a dove relative to the Vietnam War or a hawk relative to the Vietnam War, what it produced was deadly. And it wasn't, in some respects, it wasn't good for the country. But a mentality was, was awakened, and it was mobilized, which positively has stood for a good cause, but negatively has produced a fallout. And that fallout is this. People came to see that they were going to get their way no matter what. And I want my way, and I want it now, and I want it right now. That became a mentality that people lived by. And that dissidence influences our life even to this day. The ugliness of the 60s and 70s, the protests are largely gone. But the demandingness isn't. And instead of bargaining a bargaining table mentality, the penchant is to protest first and ask questions later. Rather than protesting as a last resort, 
too often in some cases, it's a first resort. And rebellion too often seems to stand for, or uh, stand as a replacement for reason. Stands as a replacement for conflict resolution. We seem to live in a generation that has a far more itchy trigger finger when it comes to pulling the trigger on issues they don't like. Convenience is a way of life in our day, as it should be. In California, some years ago, they worked hard at developing a junior college system whereby most anyone who wanted an education could get that education close to home at comfortable prices. And as I say, that's as it should be. But it has not been without side effects. Expectations, demandingness has been reflected in a certain lack of submissiveness. I want, I deserve. You know, the, the uh, advertising industry has picked up on, the, on this in a heartbeat. They know how to sell product. You deserve a break today. Why do you deserve a break today? Because they tell you you do. What do you mean I must comply? I want it this way, or I want it that way. No, or waiting, or working on it, are becoming rare commodities. Actually an endangered species. At times, it manifests itself in a lack of submissiveness, which would not be inappropriate in and of itself, but it's the way it's been done, with a hell-bent for election sort of mentality and a, and, a, and, a, and a recklessness that's been so devastating. But, you know, we didn't invent the lack of submissiveness. We inherited it, but we didn't invent it. You can go back to the 1960s and 70s, but you can go back to the 60s and 70s as well, back when the Apostle Paul lived and others like him. In our present era, we have been informed by the 1960s and 70s. In their era, they were informed by something else. Basically, society has provided an opportunity for man to show his stuff, good stuff and bad stuff. And the Bible reflects society of its times. Um, just look at what the apostles dealt with in the A.D. 60s. You can see there was a great bent in that day toward independence. Again, not wrong in itself, but it's got to be bridled. Any independence, in order to have significance and meaning, must have boundaries. In Paul's day, if his day is any indication of what is normal, we can see at least four things that we need to know and mark relative to this thing of submissiveness. First is this. The unsubmissive are always present and accounted for. Catch Paul's counsel with me, if you will. Take your Bible, or just look at the screen for that matter. 1 Thessalonians 5.14. What does the Apostle Paul say? We urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Look at that word idle. I, actually, that's the NIV rendering of the word ataktus. But I think it's kind of a poor rendering. I think the NASB covers it better when it says, warn those who are unruly. There's the, there's the picture of what we're driving at. This word ataktus, translated unruly or idle, has various, various nuances. It's, uh, it means to be unbridled. That's picturesque. You take the bridle off a horse, you have no way of controlling him, right? It appears 
It, it, it's it's uh, living and working without order or law. It, it means to set oneself outside the order of things, to act without discipline, to evade obligations, and not just through being scatterbrained or haphazard. This is willful insubordination. Such are to be admonished, Paul says. Such are to be dealt with. So the first thing we need to mark is the unsubmissive are always present and accounted for, no matter what generation. Secondly, the unsubmissive and their behavior are to be avoided. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. We hear that some among you are idle, unruly, in other words. They're not busy, they're busy bodies. They're guilty of what one commentator called Busy unrest. In other words, they're not just loafers. Not idle in that sense. They're troublemakers. They're interfering in others' business. How do you deal with them? Verse six is, verses 6 and 7 of Second Thessalonians 3 tells us, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle, who leads an unruly life, in other words and does not live according to the teaching that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you. We were not making trouble when we were with you. Third thing we need to mark is this. Some people evidence unsubmissiveness through an unteachable spirit. 1 Timothy 1 9, or uh, Titus 1 9, I'm sorry. Titus 1 9. He must, he's talking to an el- about the, how the elders need to behave here, and he said, He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he may encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose sound doctrine. Verses um, 8 and 9. Pardon me, I lost my place here momentarily. Um, it's interesting in this verse in 1 Timothy 1.9 that they're to be refuted by an overseer, an elder, who himself is to be characterized by a noticeable lack of rebellion in his spirit. That's very telling. So if an elder is going to bring others to maturity, he's got to help us, not to, he's got to, help us to learn how to be submissive, have a teachable spirit. Some evidence unsubmissiveness through an unwillingness to obey the law. Just pick a few words from 1 Timothy 1.9. The law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and for the disobedient. This verse tells us that the law is designed for those who want to break the law. It's designed for those who are stubborn and rebellious, who would be anything but submissive. Some pay no attention to that. I remember a man that lived in the Wisconsin Dells. We lived in the Dells for about three years. He was an attorney. He was a prominent attorney. He was well-known, and he got into trouble. He was in court himself. He was the plaintiff. He was the one on trial. And it looked like things weren't going very well for him. His court date in the court scene was Madison, about 40 miles away, and he'd have to drive to Madison and go to court every day and come home. And he was losing the battle. One day, 
One last act of defiance evidenced itself in his life in a very graphic way. They stopped for the noon break. He jumped in his car, drove back to the Dells, took a deer rifle, and ended his life. One last defiant act. No one tells me what to do. I think few people would argue that there is a spirit of rebellion and contentiousness that's still alive amongst a lot of people. And here's where Christianity has an opportunity to shine. God makes those who come to him an uncommon people. He slowly but surely will help them deal with any pockets of unsubmissiveness in their lives. And do we not have them? Am I not speaking to a group of people today who are sometimes, in your own heart, stubborn? In your own heart, uh, cantankerous? In your own heart, unwilling to submit? Are we not all made of the same stuff? This is part of the human dilemma. So when we look at the, uh, e the um, evidence of unsubmissiveness, we also need to look at the order of submissiveness. This whole thing of submissiveness is an admirable, admirable trait. It's one of the many elements, but it's an essential one, which helps us in, in our homes and at church and society to run smoothly and effectively. And it gives, it gives us hope that we need in order to be able to make it at all in this society. The Bible speaks of submissiveness in many contexts, but there are three that are crucial when thinking about life together in a local church. The first, we need to be submissive to Christ. This is the very means of conversion. When I was a young kid, I had just come to Christ. I was about 16 years old. And a man used to come and pick me up in Mount Healthy, the little town where I was growing up, north of Cincinnati, Ohio, take me back into the downtown area, and we would go calling. We'd visit homes. It was a new and novel experience for me, and it, it, it really began to shape my life. But I remember one night we were walking through this uh, nice old neighborhood, and it was dark, but you could still see the buildings silhouetted. It was just dusk, basically. And we walked by this beautiful, old, stately Presbyterian church. And the man told me about his experience in that church. Told me about how as a youth he came to Christ in that church. He wasn't very happy about what he learned that was going on in that church in that day and age. They'd become quite liberal. They were discounting scripture, at least at a practical level. But he remembered the term his pastor used. And he says, you don't hear it much in that church anymore, but the pastor used to call people to Christ and he would call them to surrender to Christ. That's a picturesque word. That is a statement. That's a picture of submissiveness. We have some of our old hymnology that reflects that as well. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. It's a marvelous statement of submission. The essence of repentance is that, to submit, to surrender. This is the attitude not only of coming to Christ, but it's the attitude of continuing in Christ. What attitude did Jesus see in our prayers that we should have in our prayers? If you turn to the Lord's Prayer, that's John chapter 17. Um, 
We're not going to go there, but if you turn to what people commonly refer to as the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, you'll see again and again something about submissiveness. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that tell us? His kingdom hasn't come to the degree that we think it should. And we're desirous to see it come. When his kingdom is, has come, what happens? All are subject to him. That's a statement of submissiveness. Paul's counsel of people struggling with their own humanity. Listen to what he says. And listen very carefully to this because I think this eludes us sometimes. Don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God um, as those always, as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. That's a statement calling us to submit. So the question is, have we submitted to Christ? See, religious people like to talk about God. Committed people like to surrender themselves to God. Like to give it all up to God. We know that we're no match for what this earth calls upon us to do. We're no match for living life without submitting to God and allowing Him to lead. This is an incredibly important statement. Don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Submissiveness. We're not only to be submissive to Christ, we're to be submissive to leadership. It has a place in the home, leadership and submissiveness. It can be seen between husbands and wives. Wives, be subject to your husbands or submit yourself to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. So we have the wife's part and the husband's part. It's not a question of equality and equality. This is not a statement about equality and equality. This is a statement about how to function. Mutual submissiveness. Children and parents also are called to be submissive. Children, obey your parents. You're to submit. That's the kids' part. But the parents have a part in this too. Fathers and mothers, do not provoke your children to anger. That's the parents' part. And strangely enough, enough even parents need to, need to learn to be submissive. Somebody said, as goes the home, so goes the nation. And that's true. It could also be said of home and church. In fact, Paul says that when we're seeking to identify leaders in the church, we need to look at how they function at home. Is their family in order? Are their children submissive? What about their mate? Are they submissive? What about them? Do they know the concept of mutual submission? submission? It has a place in the workplace as well. Uh, Ephesians 6, 5. Be obedient to those who are your masters. I take it to mean that this has to do with the employer-employee relationship. We need to learn to be submissive in the workplace. It has a place in the church as well. The relationship between laity and, and, and elders. Listen to this verse. This is a great statement from Hebrews chapter 13. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work may, will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no advantage 
to you. This verse suggests several things. One of the things it suggests is this. The leaders in question were not receiving the respect that was due them. That seems to be the gist here. Probably they were facing an armada of obstinance, of contentious people. In fact, Philip Hughes in his commentary on Hebrews says that uh, good and successful leadership is to a considerable degree dependent on the willing response of obedience and submission on the part of those who are under authority. Leadership is permission granted. And you may call somebody a leader, but if he's not granted permission to lead, he won't lead very far. And he won't lead very well. And it won't necessarily be his fault. A lack of submissiveness. Chrysostom, the church father, said, A people that does not obey a leader is like one that has none. And perhaps even worse. I could regale you with story after story after story of church fight and church feud and church dissension where this has been an issue. A lack of willingness to submit. In fact, I knew a man who was a very up-and-coming, strong pastor, good preacher, uh, capable administrator. He had proven himself. He had been in a church that had grown by leaps and bounds and it was doing a wonderful job but he felt led to go to another church. But he didn't stay long. Because when he got there, he was facing obstinacy at every corner, every turn. They wouldn't let him do anything. They fought with him about everything. Finally, he just left them to themselves. Chuck Swindoll talks about one of his early churches and how they took exception to his developing uh, style of preaching. And he said they gave him such grief that finally he had no alternative but to leave. And he said the best view of that church I ever had was the view that I got from my rearview mirror. They just didn't know how to cooperate. See, it's not be laying down and becoming a doormat, this thing of submissiveness. It's living lives with a cooperative spirit. And a word of commendation to you. I've been here two years. And I have yet to see a feud here. I'm sure there are things you don't agree with, but there seems to be a spirit of willingness to cooperate here. And that's a good, good thing. We must not let Satan wrestle that out of our hands. That's a dynamic quality, a phenomenal virtue to have. The leaders in question in this Hebrews passage were faithfully exercising their office. We're told that they were the ones worthy of followership. They, those who abuse the title of leadership or being a leader by bearing the title but bearing it irresponsibly don't deserve respect they deserve to be corrected but that's not the case here and then thirdly faithful leaders deserve faithful submissive people with whom to work and the reason is twofold and we're told right in that verse they keep watch over our souls and they will give an account to God so they should be given joy and not grief agreed there's another way of saying this. Let any stress which pastoral leadership bears be that which comes from Satan and not the saints. Let the saints' contribution be that of cooperation and teamwork. So we're to be subject to Christ, submitted to Christ. We're to be submitted to leadership. We're also to be submitted, and here's where it gets really fun, we're also to be submitted to one another. This earmarks 
the Spirit-filled life. In Ephesians chapter 6, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 5, we're told we're to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Verse, um, here it is, I've got it. Verse 17, the leading statement in this passage, let me read all the passage to you, I'm getting confused up here. My wife is gone. Come on, have pity on me. (laughs) Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus, and he says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, and here's the leading statement of the, of the, the, the paragraph, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of, the, of, the Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ, catch this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There it is. This earmarks a spirit-filled life, a willingness, a desire to live cooperatively. We'll have differences of opinion, for sure. But it's not about that. It's about learning how to deal carefully with one another in spite of and in light of those differences. It's an attitude which God likes. It's one which he blesses. Catch this, if you will, from, from 1 Peter. Young men, in the same way as the elders before you, be submissive to those who are older, all of you, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Just as we wouldn't leave home improperly clothed, proper clothing for a believer is a humility which manifests itself in mutual submissiveness. God loves it and God blesses it. That's the order of submissiveness. Christ, leadership, one another. And you know what this says? It says something about commitment. It says something about our commitment to Christ. It says something about our commitment to the body of Christ. It says something about our commitment to the work of Christ. It says something about teamwork. It's always characterized, teamwork is always characterized by cooperation, give and take, mutual submissiveness. I want to make a prediction today. I'm going to predict that as the age moves on, this thing of submissiveness will be a rarer and more treasured commodity in our society than what we have ever thought it would be. I think it's largely going away. I may be wrong. I'm not a sociologist. But I've been in the ministry and I've seen spirit and attitudes change And this is one I think I've seen changing nationally. We're not a very submissive people, but we're a very selfish people. We're very self-serving people. We want what we want. We want what we want. When we want it, we want it now, if not yesterday. But the Bible calls us to a whole different lifestyle. It calls us to hold on, hang in there with one another, and be submissive to one another. Work together with a cooperative spirit. And I trust that that will be characteristic of what happens to Elam tomorrow. This church is 100 years old. I'm sure you've had an argument or two. I haven't seen very many of them since I've been here. Nothing serious. 
But let's not let Satan rip us off. Let's not let Satan deceive us. Let's be people who know how to live life cooperatively with one another. Fits right in, doesn't it? We're going to vote. Today's vote is going to be a momentous decision. The search team has done its homework. They've worked hard and long, and they have a spirit of unanimity about what they're doing. They presented to the elders they thought that the man they thought should be the candidate here, and the elders concurred with the, their findings and have recommended him to you. In just a few moments, we'll have a business meeting, and we'll make a decision that will shape the future of this church. But along with that decision, let's decide that we're going to work together. We will not allow Satan to pit us against one another. We will be a people mutually submitted to one another under the lordship of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we live in a selfish age. And I suppose Paul would have said the same thing. Maybe it's just human nature in general. We're very selfish people. We're very self-serving. Help us, Lord, to learn not to be. Deal with us. May the Holy Spirit be not so grieved that he won't minister to us, but he would deal with us and help us to learn how to live our lives more cooperatively with one another so that we can show a watching world what yielded lives to Christ looks like. We pray, Lord, your blessing upon these words that have been shared today. We pray your blessing upon the after-hour decision to be made. We pray that you'd guide us and direct us to know how to live here below with those we know. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to wait upon you for the Lord's tithe in your offering right now. The worship team is coming. And as they come, let me just make a comment or two about your connection card. Those of you who are here every week hear me say this every week, but there are people who aren't here every week, so let me say it to you as well. And also as a reminder to those who are here, we ask that you put a connection card in the offering plate. And along with that connection card, you can send notes to us. If those notes happen to be prayer requests, we take them seriously. And every Wednesday in our staff meeting, we pray for those notes. We pray for the, the, what those notes represent, for lives to be changed, for lives to be healed, for lives to be touched. Share with us how can we can pray with you, and we are more than happy to do it. May God bless you as you give. May he bless both gift and giver and use this coined life for his intended purpose.